Hi, Drew. How you doing? I have been busy. Yeah. Oh. Hey. <laughs> My mic just fell off its stand. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Give me a second. I got to put a mic back up. <laughs> well, that was fun. Sounded fun. Should we change the subject to the thing that I love the most, content of all kinds? I mentioned that that concept drives me up the wall, talking about creating content and just using the word in general. Do you feel the same? You, you liked my tweet, so I didn't know if that was an affirmation or just an affirmation that you would agree to, as I asked, kill me, if I ever used that phrase in seriousness. Uh, it was a multifaceted like. Okay, good, good. This is a phrase that I I use. I hate using it, but it's one of those that I have a hard time coming up with an alternative to mm -hmm. because it dumbs things down. Like this is this is my concern with it. When I say I'm going to create content, it comes with this assumption that almost that it's a business, right? That I am creating a widget to be sold. Like that is what it comes across as. And in most cases, I've spent a lot of time making the thing that I'm going to release to the world and just saying, hey, look at the content I made for you. That seems very cheap. Right. It's a hard thing because you're right. There are times where it just makes sense to use as a word. There aren't really other things to use. For example, I'm helping somebody with their social media strategy, a company that needs some help in that in that regard. And I was helping them build a list of the things that they should be posting over the next month or two. And that, to me, was a good use of the word content. Like, hey, let's take a look at the content that we've built out for the next month and tell me what you think. Because I'm using that word in the sense of, look, this is a bunch of different stuff that falls under a bunch of different categories. But it is your content that you're going to be sharing on your Facebook and your Twitter and so on and so forth. But I don't mean it as a pejorative. But it almost feels like a pejorative when you're talking about creating content in the sense that it feels like it's meaningless like there's this distinction between i'm creating this thing that matters and is artful and i put my effort into really creating it and i'm creating content which is meant to be monetized and is just for business and i wouldn't be creating it if i didn't need to post something today or share something today or make money on something today and uh, i just i i hear it used a lot in ways that make me feel a bit bad. <laughs> so I never want to find myself in situations where I'm using it entirely cavalierly. It's tough to, because you and I work in this space where we, we write things, we make videos, we record audio, like we do this stuff all the time. And technically speaking, it's all content. Right. It's a thing that we, we make and we kick out to the world. But Again, I wish I had a better phrase. Like I tend to, whenever I'm talking to people, I tend to call out what the exact thing is. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've got a bunch of blog articles and podcasts that I'm going to try to to sell online. Like that sort of thing is what I try to do, and just spell out the exact detail. It gets rid of the anonymity that comes with it and spells out exactly what you're talking about. Like, I've got a couple video courses that I'm going to start selling. Like that sort of thing. Versus, you know, if I go talk to <laughs> some of my in-laws and relatives this weekend, with it being Labor Day. Yeah, I made a whole bunch of content I'm going to sell online. Like, that tells them absolutely nothing. <laughs> I think that you said something really great there, which is I think that it is the anonymity of it that makes me annoyed. In the sense that, oh, so you're telling me about this thing, but you don't actually care about the thing enough to call it what it is. In one of the examples that I was hearing was somebody that was talking about posting content to Instagram every day. 
and they were promoting this upcoming thing that they were doing. And they said, yes. Yeah. So I made all of these Instagram posts and I did it so that I would share one a day because I have all these followers on Instagram and I wasn't using it and I knew I needed to be using it. So I made this content and now I'm going to post the content daily. And it's like, oh, but can't you just say what the freaking content is? You know, I went and looked and it's like, <laughs> it's quotes from the book and that kind of thing. And can't you just say like, that's what I did. I, I wanted to promote this project. So I made a bunch of quotes from the material that was meaningful. Like now I'm interested. I want to see what that is. But I can tell when you... You say I created a bunch of content for Instagram that you aren't interested in it. Uh, it just really, it's the new version of business jargon for the modern era, right? For the internet age. And yeah, I just, I hear it used and thrown around way more often than I wish I did. What's the other like recycling content? Yeah. Recycling content. Oh, oh cool. Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to post it again. Again, mm -hmm. you're not recycling content. You're just doing a marketing campaign on the articles you wrote previously. Yeah. Like that's what you're actually doing. And that's the thing is, you know, just I, I don't actually think that any of those things are necessarily bad. But just be honest, I guess, with what it is and be more specific because I guess it just feels like you're not owning the thing that you're making online. And when you don't own the thing that you're making, I don't know why you would want to make it. And I posted something along the lines of basically saying – it just felt weird to me because the whole thing basically felt like it was somebody saying, I'm creating content and you got to create content every day if you want to be successful. And the subtext there was, and I wouldn't be making this if I didn't think that it was going to be successful. And that bothers me, I think, in a way, because I don't know why you would spend your time invested in something that doesn't make you excited. And, and I say that in, uh, there's the risk that what you're hearing is like, never do anything that's not fun, which is obviously not what I mean. There are, there are parts of any job or any project that you're trying to create where there's going to be something that isn't necessarily great. A friend of mine, Josh Ginter posted on the, the tweet that I shared that, well, you know, sometimes you just don't like doing a thing. Like he makes travel logs where he journals about places that he's been. And he's like, sometimes I feel stuck in a rut there and I don't want to create that, but I know I should anyways. And I I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying don't do anything that doesn't invigorate you entirely. But there is a point where when you talk about creating content over and over and over again, it seems very clear that it is dead to you and there's not really any creativity involved. And I don't get it. I think there's kind of a new wave what we're talking about is essentially a, a mindset when it comes to websites because like right now – and there's kind of a backlash against it. I may or may not be a supporter of the backlash where <laughs> websites have ads mm. galore and pages are so hard to load. Yeah, like There's a lot of that out there. Well, that is the whole – marketing content era, if you will, because that's mm -hmm. that's the way people have seen it. And there's kind of a new wave, and you see this with some tech startups that do like the bare metrics thing where they, they show everything behind the scenes, like here's our employee salaries and here's how much we made today. And like you see a lot of that just being very real and very honest with where they're at and what they're doing. And there's kind of that wave starting to take hold even in folks who create websites, communities, videos, podcasts, like you're starting to see some of that shift where there is a bit of a backlash against the content creation phase. We're starting to get past that. And you see that with paid memberships to certain article subscriptions. Like you, you tend to see a lot of these things where 
people are asking you to pay to support the thing. Patreon does a lot of this right. because you can be very real and very connected, and it makes it a very authentic and genuine experience because there's that shift. Like we're, we're getting away from the anonymous and starting to spell things out in more detail and be very honest and real with it. Is there ever any work that you take on that you wouldn't want to put your name on or you wouldn't want to tell people what it is? Does that make sense? And I, I, I mean, that sounds kind of harsh, but I'm just thinking still through this lens of using the word content or saying I created something today and not really fully explaining what that thing is. Does that ever occur in your life? When it comes to, say, like video courses or like an online community that I'm, I'm working on, when it comes to those types of things, because that's where I tend to spend more of my time online lately anyway, Whenever I'm doing that, it's rare that I'm building something that I don't want to put my name on. I, I think if it's to where I wouldn't want to put my name on it, I won't build it or I won't touch it. Where I struggle with that specific piece is some of my code projects. Because mm. I'll have a client that asked me to do something. And in one case, they were very specific on how they wanted the data stored on the back end of that plugin. And it's a disaster. Like, I would never want to build something that way. Like, it, it's going to have problems the moment it starts trying to scale. It, it'll fall apart, and I know it will. And I tried to explain this. I fought and fought and fought and eventually had to build it that way. And they wanted to make it public. They wanted me to post it and, and say, look at this thing. And I told them, absolutely not. It's like, you tag me on this. I will separate. I will back away so far from this. <laughs> like, I want nothing to do with this once it's done. Right. Because I know it will break. That, I think, is where I would tend to struggle with this because it's not something that I'm necessarily proud of, but it's what the client wanted. Like, that's where I would fall into that. Yeah, but in, at that same time, though, that is like a, a difference of opinion in the way that something should be done. It isn't a difference of you saying, you know, I don't really want to think about what it is that I'm creating here. What I'm creating is some content for a client, right? Yeah, I, I don't think I really have to deal with that per se. Because if I'm going to, quote unquote, create content, <laughs> it's for myself, like, I rarely do that for for someone else. I'm trying to think if I've ever done it for someone else. Uh, well, yeah, there's there's one particular company. Yeah, I've done some video modules for them, three or four of them. And I, I, would, I was pretty proud to put my name on those because I spent a lot of time and, and really got to own those projects. But I think if, if it's something where I'm being asked to create something that I don't think I'm fully on board with, I tend to say no to those. In the projects that you yourself I mean you're very proud of I don't think that you think of yourself as getting up and creating content for uh, the productivity guild or for uh, any podcast that you're a part of I mean it's all it all feels very personal yeah and I try to keep it that way because most of what I do because you know I'm trying to move into this next wave I was just talking about where you're trying to be real and authentic right that's where I tend to want to sit which means that when I hop on the microphone, it's just me talking about my life. Like that's you're basically getting my story <laughs> in this. And same thing with some of the video courses. Like you're going to get my story of how I use, say, Alfred. Like you're going to get my story about how I've come to use it and the ways that I see and can recommend that you use it. Like that's what you're going to get there. And it's it's a very real and hands-on way of coming at it. Because of that, it's rare that I'm showing something that I'm like, ugh. I got to make this thing today because I said I was going to make a thing today. I typically have enough ideas 
for things I'm interested in. And if I don't have ideas for something I'm interested in, I try to find a new way to make a new workflow for something else. And then I have something new to talk about. <laughs> that's that's kind of what I do. So I I just don't see this problem. I just don't struggle with it at all. You do you because you keep bringing this up. I think this is something you struggle with. <laughs> oh, oh, called out. <laughs> I'm gonna pin you to the wall. Do you just mean like putting my name on a thing? Well, yeah, because I mean you're asking me about. Do you ever have to create a thing that you're not necessarily proud of? Yeah, it, it sounds like you're into this world of creating things for other companies. Yeah, no, that's I think the thing is I actually just don't don't really understand it. Here's where I think I stand on on this whole thing is that the problem comes from the fact that it feels very marketing speak and very business minded. And what you just said is a great example of what I believe to be true, which is there's not really a whole lot of point of creating something if you don't feel like you are sharing something personal and you're sharing something that that comes from a, a place of personal understanding or experience. And the word content just feels like it it runs in the opposite direction of personal experience. And that's something that I think really bothers me. But at the same time, I do think that I have had a problem with feeling like I can fully put myself out there in the past. So I get it. Not necessarily even in, in just work for a random company, but just in my own stuff. Like, do I feel like I can write an article on this subject and really share how I truly feel? Or do I think that I can say this thing that maybe pushes the envelope or people will disagree with? Like, that's stuff that I think is hard for me. But at the same time, I mean, I just don't think that I would ever want to run in the opposite direction where what I'm creating is this prepackaged, easy thing that everyone can agree with. Did you, for your other podcast, Bookworm, read um, that Mark Manson book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F? We'll, we'll not say the, the full title. I did not read that one for Bookworm. I ended up reading it for uh, Theoretical Accountability. Ah, okay. Your other podcast. Yes, yes. So I did that one with Josh over there. Yeah, because I got three of them because I can't help myself. Of course, of course. I feel like that's a good example, though, of I can't really see that person thinking about creating content when he gets up in the morning, Mark Manson. It's, it's very clear that whatever he makes, he, he kind of puts his personal stamp on and doesn't really care what you think about it. And I appreciate that, and I really respect that. Help you at all think through that kind of stuff? That book made me – it made me stop and think about should I worry about a reaction to what I'm doing and – focusing more. So it, it really made me stop and think through exactly the projects that I'm taking on and do they point me in the right direction. I think that's where it, it helped me out more than anything. It's what drove me more towards building out, say, Productivity Guild, and it's what's pushed me to starting to write code for some of my own personal projects as opposed to clients. It's what's pushed me to potentially trying to find one client to work for as opposed to multiple. Hmm. So it it's given me a lot of clarity as far as what I do for a living because I run like five or six different ventures and different avenues to try to diversify a lot of my income. And that works really well. And I really like that. It keeps me interested in everything. But at the same time, you got to be pinpoint accurate on your focus for each one of those in order to make that to work. That makes sense. Yeah. There's um, a really good book that I read maybe a year or two ago now called um, The Artisan Soul. It's by this author named Erwin McManus. Have you ever heard of him? I have not. He's actually a pastor of a church in LA called Mosaic and really interesting guy. He is very interested in just 
the world of creation and art. He's done a few different things. I believe that he had like a clothing company at one point, and he's just done all of this different stuff. And of course, he's a Christian and talks a lot about what it means to be a creative or an artist from a Christian perspective. And I just really like it. The book really helped me think through all of that because his his kind of concept and whatever you believe, I think that you can incorporate a bit of this kind of thesis into your creation is that, look, we all have some sort of creative spark inside of us, and we were all called to create at a certain aspect. And whatever you create, that doesn't really matter. You could be a writer, you could be a photographer, you could be a painter, you could be a shoemaker, you could be a cleaning person. But whatever you're doing has some sort of art in it. And you were made to create that thing. And you need to go for it. That's sort of his charge of this book, The Artisan Soul, is don't let that bit of you die out. And definitely don't ever say, I'm not a creative, because you are creative. And creativity is just an inherent part of our humanity. Maybe you don't do something that is particularly creative every day, but you have thoughts and dreams and ideas and bits of inspiration and you have a role as a person in this world to find a outlet for that and I, I that that just really impacted me and i probably think about those ideas on a i don't know daily or weekly basis and yeah i think the reason that i just don't like that phrase is because the the idea of creating content feels like the antithesis of creating art and that's a bummer <laughs> that's all I that's my big thought on it <laughs> it's a good thought for sure because I know it, the moment you say content it, it takes all feeling out of it it, it takes all meaning out of it. it it doesn't actually drive you to the purpose behind the thing you've made like so much of what I work on is trying to find ways to help people with technology in some form or another and a lot of ways that comes out in podcasting, it comes out in video courses, online communities, like that's the way it comes out. It's what I keep talking about. But it's the thing that keeps me going. Like that's my art outlet to use some of your terms there. Right. That's what I think people need to be doing is focusing on the thing that they want to accomplish. And if you're going to quote unquote create content, it needs to be directed at that mission not just a thing that you got to do because you got a bunch of Instagram followers. Like that's not <laughs> right. That's not the main goal there. It's like, "Oh, I have all these followers. I guess I should send them something. Let me create some content and kick it over to them." Like there's like no meaning and no feeling in that whatsoever. I couldn't agree more, friend. Happy day. <laughs> so, well, now you know that that phrase is a uh, a major trigger for me. So, if I ever hear it aloud, you can probably see me cringing somewhere. Okay. I'll try to use it more often then. Perfect. Perfect. I appreciate that. Definitely. <laughs> so how's the, uh, how's the job shift going? So I have been, I've been shifting to like corporate clients versus smaller clients, which has been a good shift. Right. I think what I'm landing on is I probably need to be finding like a tech startup to go work for is my thinking. And it, it gets me to this single client level. I don't know if I've mentioned this here or not. I've been talking about it a lot lately, so it's hard for me to know where I've said what. But I have been considering this whole tech startup level of things because, you know, if if you want to look at what I technically do, I'm a uh, I guess you would call me a senior full stack developer would be the technical title, and full stack is kind of a buzzword right now, and I will take advantage of that as best I can. So I, I tend to be able to do everything from building databases to 
front ends. That's essentially what it means. And because of that, it means that there's a very large market that I can fall into. And that's also part of my problem because it means that I can take on pretty much any project that involves a web-based anything and figure it out or build on it in some way. So that's it's a good thing, but it also makes it a challenge to say no to all those clients. So I, I've been trying to figure that out because I just don't like the juggling of a bunch of big projects and having to shift them around constantly because it's, it's a daily process to push one off, put one up towards the front, and go back and forth. Like, it just gets stressful. So I, I'm trying to shift there. So I've got one place in particular I've put an application out to. They're pretty picky. We'll see if I get in there or not. But that's where I'm at with it. That's cool. I appreciate that. Do you find yourself thinking more about your own personal projects, like the Productivity Guild, because of that? Yes. <laughs> I tend to think of them more as what they are, side projects. And I I am very aware that whenever something gets that label of a side project, I tend to get a lot more joy out of it. Even if it is a paid thing, it's still a lot more fun. But when it becomes important and vital to your actual income to pay, you know, mortgages and insurance and all the adult stuff you got to do, like when you, you actually have to use it for that, it's it tends to border on content instead of a video course. Like it, it tends to start to lose some of the, the appeal there. Mm -hmm. So I, I like those projects. They're very fun. They keep me going. It's why I continue doing my podcasts. Like these are fun things to do, but they're almost necessary to keep me going at the same time. Cause yeah, that's where I land. Hmm. So how about you? Cause you, you've talked about maybe doing some shifting work wise or is that, Am I misreading that? No, yeah, you're right. This has just been a funny year for me. Uh, for so long, I worked a nine to five that I really enjoyed and I loved it. I wasn't upset about it at all. But at the same time, I knew that that job kept me from having some time for my own creative projects. And then when I moved across the country and changed a lot of the things that I did and found a couple of clients to do work for, I really thought to myself, and I had this funny moment with my wife, Christine, where we both looked at each other and said, I wonder if we can do this for a while. Like, I wonder how long we could go without having to find that normal nine to five routine again. And I really wanted to see if I could make it through 2017 without doing that, just so that I could give myself some space for creative projects and just experimentation in different areas. And uh, so far, so good, man. We're plowing through 2017 as a whole. And it's it's been amazing. I mean, it's been really cool to have time for stuff like this that we're doing right now, where I would not have really made the space before. And all of it has been really helpful in letting me understand what the next phase of my life is going to look like and what I really want to do. Because that's the hard thing, right, is that sometimes when you're busy, nose to the grindstone, making something happen every day for a role that you love, you're not really thinking, okay, is this my one-year plan, my five-year plan, my 10-year plan? What is my one-year plan, my five-year plan, my 10-year plan? And you need some time to just think that kind of stuff into existence and really consider your possibilities and your options. And I've had that. I've had that time. I've done a lot of whiteboard dreaming, which by the way, whiteboard update. How's your, how's your whiteboard doing? Still, still holding up? I'm still seriously considering replacing it for a legit whiteboard. I, I may do that before end of the year. We'll see. Okay. But you flipped it over enough times that it's managing to continue working? 
for now? Yeah, it's it's probably got about three months on it, and it's going to have to either <laughs> become a legit whiteboard or I'm going to have to buy another sheet of melamine and replace it. Exactly. Having a creative project like this one that we're doing right now has been really good in the sense that it has allowed me to think about the kind of stuff that I want to create. And notice I did say stuff and not content there. <laughs> in the sense that I like talking about these kinds of things. I like considering them. And I don't necessarily feel like I want it to just be a side hobby, but instead a primary bit of my life. And again, I don't know exactly what that means. So I don't have the answers. I don't have the full extent of what I want to do from this point forward. But I do know that I want to continue strengthening this bit of my life and giving it more of my time, not less. And even that in itself is a big breakthrough. So yeah, it's, it's cool. It's been really good. Uh, and this year has felt like a, a very good year of rest where I had not had a whole lot of that in the previous few so that's been nice. So you've been on a reflection journey. A reflection journey. Of sorts. Definitely. That's a, that's a good way of, of thinking it through. And, you know, even it's been good, like wondering, okay, well, I don't do A, B, and C anymore. A big part of my last job was spending time making videos and working on interviews and that kind of stuff. And I, I don't really find myself doing that in this season of my life at all. And then I get to evaluate, you know, do I miss that? Do I want to do that again? Do I want to do that less than I did before or more than I did before? And all of those questions are really helpful in evaluating what I want to spend time on in the future. So that kind of reflection has been helpful. And I definitely don't think that I had any of that time for reflection in the years past. So yeah, it's been necessary. It's been good. There's a, there's an article. I need to send it to you. It, uh, it talked about world-renowned thought leaders taking time to think through all of life, essentially, and doing that in a two-hour time span once a week, hmm. which sounds absolutely bonkers to me. But I, I looked through the list of questions that they recommended going through to do that, and uh, they're not simple questions to answer, but if you did that once a week, it could go a long ways. I think there's a lot of value in taking the time to do that reflection. I don't do real well with doing the bigger picture reflection points because I feel like I don't have time right now. Again, partly why I'm considering moving to some other scenario. Right. <laughs> but th there's some of that involved there too. I, I tend to not be able to take that time or at least I don't set it aside and prioritize it. So I, I can see a lot of benefits in what you're talking about and I'm, I'm glad you can do that, Drew. So when you when you brought up that article, why does that sound crazy to you? It has more to do with setting aside the two hours mm -hmm. every single week. And they're recommending going into complete silence. So you're essentially cutting yourself off from absolutely everything for two hours and then thinking about what does the next year hold. But you're doing it every week. Right. Which seems strange to me. And I think, now granted, I've not done this, so I can't really speak from experience here, but I, I can't help but think that that eventually leads you to some of this longer term, bigger picture thinking without needing to set aside multiple months of time. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because I, I feel like it, it's a way of building up to something and getting to that point. Do you, I think we brought this up once before, but I don't think we spent a lot of time on it, which is, do you do any sort of like goal tracking or do you set goals for yourself that you're going to complete in the future 
like on a quarterly basis or semesterly basis or yearly basis or anything like that? So there is the basis of one of my other podcasts right there. The theoretical accountability. Theoretical accountability. Yeah, that's essentially what that is. Josh and I work through the 12-week year process. So every 12 weeks, I set another three goals. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing there. Do you feel like that sort of future vision thinking is incorporated into those goals? Oh, why do you got to ask the hard questions? Uh, <laughs> that I think technically, yes, that's the theory. Again, theoretical accountability. I would say, yes, it's there. Does it come through in actuality and reality? Maybe. I, I don't really know, but it's not recurring. It, it's the sort of thing where you use like longer-term goals and missions to set them at the onset, and then you tend to not play them back. Like You don't tend to continually course-correct over time. Yeah, that makes sense. Be because, I mean, okay, to me, two hours on a weekly basis, that feels pretty intense, right? I mean, that's a lot of time spent thinking about this future thing that isn't necessarily present here. But at the same time, I mean, I definitely think that it is something that we need a regular rhythm to consider. I've really found myself using goals in the past for that purpose. And yeah, I was just wondering if you do or not. And I get that at some point it is theoretical, right? Because it's harder to act on that than it is to act on something very simple. But at the same time, I mean, it's necessary. Yes. So I just sent you this link. It's the two-hour rule is what uh, what they're calling Like you've heard of... Like the, the two-minute rule that David Allen talks about, if it takes you two minutes or less, do it right now. Right. This is what they're calling the two-hour rule. And the questions, am I excited to be doing what I'm doing or am I in aimless motion? Like that, mm. I feel like that question wouldn't be that hard to answer. Right. The second one here, are the trade-offs between work and my relationships well-balanced? Again, you're doing that on a weekly basis, so yeah, I could see where that's. That's something of value. How can I speed up the process from where I am to where I want to go? That, I feel like, is one of these you could answer it once a month and probably get a different answer. I feel like, to me, every week seems a bit excessive. But, again, they're recommending this on a weekly basis. So I could see where maybe it gets there. But at the same time, it, it feels like it's more long-term. The, the next one here is what, what big opportunities am I not pursuing that I potentially could that's probably a time management question. Uh, what's a small thing that will produce a disproportionate impact? That I'm kind of interested in seeing every week. <laughs> I could see that being a big deal. Uh, what could po probably go wrong in the next six months of my life? I don't really want to answer that question. That's probably a smart question to ask, yeah, but not, yeah, not a very I, I fun one. <laughs> like, I don't want the answer to that one, but I probably need the answer to that one. So, again, I, maybe it's just the one question of I feel like this – isn't going to change very frequently, but I don't know. It, it seems like these can help you drive towards a, a broader and bigger mission. I, I like this. I'm looking through the article a bit myself, and I mean, the, the beginning of it is saying it's, it's just drilling into the reality that spending time doing nothing is a worthwhile way to spend time, which honestly, you've been one of the biggest proponents of that concept in my life lately, where I am very, very quick to fill every moment with something to do. And I know that that is probably something that I've gone too far with and that there is definitely a need for some space in my life. And you seem like you have a pretty decent amount of that. And yeah, I was going to say, where have you heard this before, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that seems like that's really... 
that's been very beneficial for you. And it, it's made me want to consider how to, how to make that happen in my life as well. My wife and I were talking about when the last time was that we turned our TV on. Mm. We were talking about this with some friends over the weekend. And the best we could come up with was, I think it was about five months ago that we turned our TV on because we watched Frozen with the girls. Mm. And it has, it has, the power button has literally not been hit since then. It's been that long. And I, I think that the way that I feel better about it for myself is that, well, none of the things that I'm doing are mindless. The music is because I love music and it makes me feel happy and like it gets me creatively energized if I find a cool new song. The podcasts are interesting and giving me new information that I wouldn't have otherwise or inspiring me or motivating me. But at the same time, I mean, if all of the inspiration and motivation that I get in life is from an outside force, there's a problem there, right? Some of it should be coming from within. And I definitely, especially as someone who has a high input, as we've talked about before, uh, I'm definitely somebody who is less likely to spend time doing nothing or reflecting. I'm more likely to spend time thinking about the future or thinking forward or finding something, some source of information that I didn't have previously. So yeah, that's good. I should, I should start incorporating these, these concepts into my own life. I like that a lot. One of the things that was actually really helpful to me at the, the last job that I had is we would have these annual retreats where we would go and think about the organization and the next year or five years. And one of the things that we did one year was focus on our personal lives and goals and work. And one of the things that was really interesting was the person in charge of the organization had each of us as employees write our obituary. Have you ever done something like that? I have been asked to do this. I don't know how many times, and I always avoid it. That's a, that's a pretty common thing, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And I hear there's a lot of value in it. I've just been a little leery to do it. Is it. Are you leery to do it because it's morbid or because it's too intense or both? I tend to be very good at visualizing and putting myself in a situation. And <laughs> it's too much. I just don't want to go that route. <laughs> I just don't want to think about it. Maybe it would be better for you to be like, you're you're 70 and you're looking back on your life or something maybe a little more right. chill. You're than... on your deathbed and <laughs> you're going to reflect on life. Yeah. What would you write about yourself? Like yeah, that exactly. I could see doing, uh, but obituary. Yeah, you are now dead. It, what are people saying about you? Mm -hmm. I just – I don't want to visualize this and then my heart stop. Like I just don't want to – Okay. Just, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to go there. That's fair. But y you see where the value would come from that. And, and I think the value of it and the value that I found from it when I did it a few years back was it really just makes you clarify a few things that you would not otherwise clarify. What do I actually want to be remembered for is sort of a good way of taking away a bunch of the detrius, the, the stuff that doesn't matter – and making you wonder, what is it that I want to really do? And what is it that I want to do as basically a legacy? And they're just questions that you don't usually ask yourself because it's very, very easy to get caught in the routine of life and that's it. And be doing something for years that you don't necessarily feel like you meant to commit years to. So that kind of stuff, man, I mean, I think it's really useful and it's cool that, you know, you're spending time making these 12-week goals. Yes. And that's a great metric of time because it's just long enough to, to get something big done, but just short enough to not feel like if you've missed the mark, you really lost a big chunk of time. That's I think that's great. And I've even debated taking it to like one-month projects, like one-month goals. 
because I've learned that I move a lot faster than most with a lot of my projects. And I can see seven to eight code projects come and go in one month. And that's not uncommon for me. So I I even tend to wonder if I need to shorten it up even further just because you, you do it enough, you can get it to moving really fast. So it's funny for me because as somebody who's very motivated by achievement, I think that this year I've needed to move away from those really tangible things to just give myself space for reflection. I hadn't really considered incorporating reflection into those goals as much as maybe I could have, but it just has been really helpful for me to not have to worry about that kind of stuff and just make space for doing whatever I want. Where, I mean, I don't know, it's probably been since 2013, 2014 that I've had quarterly goals that I've been trying to act on every single quarter for the year. And this has been the first time that I haven't done it. Did we ever talk about the way that I ended my job at the last place I worked and what I did right after? The really funny you know, way that my life worked out was basically I quit my job and planned on moving across the country. And right in between those two, I managed to shoehorn a two and a half week trip to Europe. (laughs) And that was just this really wild thing where I went from, you know, nine to five, nine to five, nine to five, sometimes working weekends for these conferences that we would put on and very, very much having like a, a really standard work week where I would run projects and make videos and just do a lot of stuff that was really high intensity to, okay, now I don't work there anymore. And then, okay, now I'm in Santorini, Greece for a week and I have nothing at all to do. And it was this really drastic shift from feeling very stuck in a routine. And I don't mean stuck in a bad way. I just mean that was what I was doing with my life to feeling totally freed from that. You know, there's something about those routines where you feel like that is what you're doing and you know what you're doing next week and you kn- you knew what you did last week and it's it just feels repetitive. And not having that was such a big change in my life that I wanted to keep that change going for a while. And that's been 2017, man. It really allows me to not think of my life as today is like yesterday and tomorrow will be like today. Uh, And that has been very, very good for someone who's as achievement-oriented as I am. Do you find that you now have to build up your ability and endurance with uh, self-discipline now since you don't have the structure? No, that's the thing is because I I am so structure-oriented that I'm like ready to hop back in that at any moment. And that's even been a thing is – I was really used to this routine of writing every morning and I had to purposefully break that off of myself because I didn't want to just continue doing it because it was the thing to do. But I know that any morning I could go ahead and write if I wanted to and I'd be happy to get right back into that routine. Like I just am a creature of habit, a creature of routine in that way. So it's not like, oh my gosh, this is the life. I love not having anything to do. It's kind of the opposite where it feels a little weird to me and it feels a little unnatural. Um, it feels like my natural state is the routine and the the creating habit and the self-discipline. And to feel kind of in vacation mode or freedom mode is is unnatural in a way, but I know that it's something that I've needed. And even though I've been using it, I know that I could still have more space for white space and reflection and contemplation and, um, 
yeah, that's that's sort of something that I want to give more time to in part because of our conversations. Well, I'm glad I could influence you that way. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's not a bad way to be influenced for sure. I'm going to send you here. Let's see. There's this awesome author, Jocelyn Glee. She's, she's really, really interesting, has written some great books on productivity and creation. And she wrote an article a while back about why you need white space in your daily routine. Kind of talking about this idea of not blank space necessarily that is just for like loafing around, but it's blank space or negative space that serves some sort of explicit purpose and why you need that on a daily basis or a, a regular basis. Do you ever have this kind of stuff where you read something and it just is, is immediately convicting? It's like you, all you have to do is read the headline and you're like, oh man, that really speaks to me. I, I know that I need more of that. I mean, that is this kind of article for me. Yeah, I, someone in the, the guild wrote a quick thing about instead of meditation, maybe I need reflective thinking. Hmm. It's like, oh, yes, meditation doesn't work for me, but I don't really do reflective thinking. This is what got me on the two-hour rule thing. Like, yep, I'm with you. I just had this. Yeah. So when you say that like meditation doesn't work for you, what I assume that you mean is that you feel pretty easily distracted when you're in that kind of environment. Is that right? I, I think it has more to do, and we've talked about books quite a bit in the past. I think it has more to do with me reading enough for long amounts of time in a day. Like I usually have a couple spans in the day where I'm reading for 30 minutes or more. And I think that because of that, I kind of do the same thing that people typically do when they're meditating. So I'm pretty much using up my meditative time and skills and I wear out whenever I sit down to actually meditate. So I think I'm doing something very similar to that. So it seems silly to me to sit and try to clear my thoughts and whatever it is I'm supposed to do. That's interesting. So instead, though, if you gave that time to reflecting on something, it would feel a bit more uh, necessary in your life, you think? Maybe, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah. No, I think, <laughs> I I think you're right. I haven't formally done this yet, so we'll see. <laughs> I'm very much the same way. I don't know if, if you're like this, but I know that if I sit there and do nothing and really spend time reflecting or spend time daydreaming, in a sense, I will get ideas that I'll want to take action on. And that alone should be enough for me to want to keep doing it, but I'm dumb. And I forget that that happened last time. And then I avoid <laughs> these, you know, daydreaming blank spaces in the future. Yeah. In favor of something like filling my time with a podcast or filling my time by browsing Twitter. And yeah, it's, it's definitely something that I'm trying to be more cognizant of because I think that's the problem is it's very nefarious in the way that things will take up your time. Like the world is built to take up your time and any piece of art or any piece of entertainment is built to addict you and make you want to listen to more. And we need to be able to have a bit of control over that and turn that valve off so that we can turn our, ourselves inwards. And that, yeah, that is just not my strong suit. So it's something that I'm constantly struggling with for sure. I like to think of my brain as somewhat of a stomach in that you can ingest things and you can digest things. So you tend to ingest podcasts, articles, books. Some of it's good for you. Some of it's probably like candy. It's short-lived. It's not actually going to have a long impact. But if you read a book, it's like eating a five-course meal. It's going to have a longer impact. 
and, and you're going to learn more from that. So you're, you're ingesting all of that, but you also need time to stop ingesting and start digesting yeah. so that you can process the thing that you've taken in. And, and then you can actually learn more about it and, and know what to do with it. If you don't take the time and you don't create the absence in life to do the digesting, then you're constantly ingesting, and then you never actually know what you think about it. You don't actually get the ideas, and you don't have anything to do with it. That's true. There's no action that comes from that. So there has to be the give and take, and you have to stop long enough to do something about it. That's a good way of thinking of it. And, yeah, I'm guilty of constantly ingesting and never digesting. So do you have any sort of way that you do it yourself, or do you just make time? Do you have, like, a regular routine of digesting? Or is it just something that you sort of have gotten into the habit of doing? No, I don't have set aside time for this, which is why I think the reflective thinking two-hour thing is so appealing. I tend to always be in between or at the thing. And when I'm in between, like we've talked about this before, whenever I'm headed to and from a place in the vehicle, I will rarely turn anything on and just sit in the silence. Those are the times when I'll do it. And I have instances like that enough that I don't feel required to create the actual time for it. But if I wasn't doing things like mowing the lawn, blowing off the driveway with snow, driving back and forth to the church, if I wasn't doing things like that, I would need to. Otherwise, I would never get it done. I actually have been doing that a bit more because of our conversations, again. Uh, when I drive to a coffee shop in the morning, I don't turn anything on. I just keep the car silent. Look at you. For that 15 to 20 minutes, I just try to reflect on that. And I've been doing that in the mornings as well. I usually wake up around 6 and I'll keep my hand off of my phone and keep myself from checking Twitter and just spend some time reflecting. Sometimes reading, sometimes not. And that has been really, really great. But I, the, the the trick with that kind of thing, right, is that it's it's easy to do that once, but it's hard to do that enough to make it a habit. And I want it to be a habit, so we'll see we'll see how far I get. But I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> keep trying to to make space for that over and over again to be sure. Every day for a month. Yep, that's the goal. 